0: What's going on, Unstucked fam? If you're loving the podcast, be sure to visit unstuck.com for more resources, ways to work one-on-one with me and my company, Unstucked, as well as our free unstuck guide to help you get unstuck in your career, life, finances, and business.
1: You are now listening to the Unstucked podcast where we teach you actionable steps to get unstuck in your life, career, finances, and business. Here's your host, Khalil Dumas.
0: What's going on, Unstucked fam? If you're loving the podcast, be sure to visit Unstuck.com for more resources, ways to work one-on-one with me and my company, Unstucked, as well as our free Unstucked guide to help you get unstuck in your career, life, finances, and business. Some exciting news, we have launched our budgeting course where I will sit down with you and walk you through our custom budget. The link will be below. More exciting news, we have gotten a feature spot in Medium. The name of the article is, Here are Three Signs It Is Time to Fire Your Boss. You can find the link below. I hope you read it, I hope you enjoy it, and most importantly, I hope you learn something from it. I'm so happy you're here for the ride, and now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unstuck Podcast. I'm your host, Khalil Dumas. Today, I'm joined by Sofia Zorate. Sofia is a first-generation Mexican-American professional and the creator behind Corporate Pero Latina. She leverages her social media platforms to facilitate connections through relatability and community. Sofia has used her charisma and influence to create a community known as Corporate Pero Latinos in NYC and is expanding this community to include other locations such as Los Angeles, California, and Texas. Sofia is also the host of the podcast Corporate Pero Latinos, you guys should definitely give that a listen. Hey, Sophia, thanks for joining.
1: Hi, um, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, so it was funny. So I was actually having a conversation with Corporate Chase and he brought you up and he was like, if you liked my content, you should definitely check out Sophia's. And I, of course, did that. And I love your spin on things. Gigi's a close friend of mine as well. And I love the messaging around you know first gen and really around Latinx as well as right. I love to kind of empower African-Americans as well to do all things well, business, career, life. So I want to hear a little bit about your story. You know, how did you stumble into content creation? How did you stumble into creating a podcast? I want to hear all of it.
1: Yeah, of course. First of all, shout out to Chase. Love his content. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I'm like in the middle of corporate TikTok and like Latinx TikTok. (laughs) But he's part of that corporate creator world, you know, and yeah, big fan. So I'm a first generation Mexican-American I was born and raised in a border town in Texas. I lived for a few years in Mexico, but for the most part, you know, I was Texas. I only knew, you know, what I experienced in my border town. And so that meant a lot of people that looked like me, culture was all the same. You know, um, a lot of people that grow up there just stay there. That doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, but a lot of people, you know, are not that open-minded because they haven't been exposed to much more. So when I was 19, I moved to New York City and I finished school in New York City. I graduated, got my corporate cushy job. I became the first in my family to have a corporate job. And I quickly realized that It was just not really what I dreamt of. You know, all through college, I was like, I can't wait to have my corporate job and like dress like business casual, business formal and be in all these like important meetings and stuff. And once you actually are in that world, I think a lot of times, at least for, you know, minorities, it's very difficult because you... Not everyone, right? But at least in my personal experience, I at some point felt like I was losing a big part of my culture. And I sort of had an identity crisis. You know, it can be very lonely. And I was an accounting major. So I got a job in consulting and it was like accounting and finance. And in college, I loved it. But then once I was a full-time employee, I was like, you're I'm like, oh, this isn't going to cut fin. it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, this was my dream. And like, this is what I'm going to have to do for 40 years of my life. At that time, it was also like the peak of the pandemic. A lot of things were also still closed. I was working from home, not having many like social interactions, especially with other Latinas. Cause at first, you know, I was looking for like girlfriends. I used to think that TikTok, was just for kids, right? I I listened to Chase's episode and I remember him saying the same thing. And, you know, it's the same case for me. My sister had it like when the pandemic first started and got it was like a big deal. And I would make fun of her. (laughs) I would be like, oh my God, like, you know.
0: I feel like I fell into the same boat where like I remember when that came out, I remember it took me a couple months to even download it. I don't know, I felt like, There was like this millennial posture of like, we like Instagram and we're still on Instagram and Twitter. Like, why are we going to TikTok? And I remember having that same moment as you was like, this is just dancing. And it was actually also my little sister who was like, no, it's not. It's just like short form videos. Like you watch YouTube, don't you? And I remember having this back and forth at Thanksgiving. And that's when I like finally caved. So I'm happy that like we have that in common that like we were like, all right, let's give it a try. So what was that experience like?
1: Yeah. My sister would do like the dance challenges and stuff. And I have always loved dancing. I just didn't want to create a TikTok. So she would like ask me to like come out with her. (laughs) I would be like, okay, fine, whatever. But it wasn't until one of my friends, she sent me like a video about some girl basically explaining something about the stock market in simple terms. And she was like, oh my God, like I know you're into this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Like you should create an account And basically be part of like stock talk. (laughs) I was like, what stock talk? That's like what made me create a TikTok account. And at first I was just like trying to figure out how to use it. I posted a few videos, you know, about, I guess like the stock market basics, because I'm no pro, but trying to explain it in simple terms for like Spanish speaking people. And I, I got a few followers here and there and stuff, but I wasn't really having fun posting about that stuff. But I remember my For You page was filled with corporate TikTok and like Mexican TikTok and some like dating TikTok, right? (laughs) Like the things you like looking
0: through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the stuff that I was
1: like cracking up at, like the short form videos, all that stuff. I remember at that time, I was like a huge fan of um, Corporate Natalie. I don't know if you've seen her. Yeah, yeah. I love Corporate
0: Natalie. Shout out Corporate Natalie.
1: Yeah. And I remember seeing her videos and being like, oh my God, this is so funny. Like, I can so like do this stuff just because like, I've never been one to be afraid of being in front of the camera, but I was just like, okay, how do I do it? And like, I thought it was, her content was so funny, but it didn't cover like all the experiences that I went through. Because there are specific experiences that you go through as like a Latina in corporate or a Latina in finance or in New York City, you know, stuff like that. So I started putting my own twist to it. And I think that's when I really started seeing a following. There were two different videos. One was like very (laughs) corporate-like about like partying on the weekend, you know, and it just went back and forth from like when your coworkers ask you what you do on the weekend. And that one like blew up. And then a few days later, I had one that was very much like Mexican TikTok. And it was like my brother and I pretending to like speak with um, broken English. Well, it was like an audio. And we just had like a whole thing. And that one blew up too. So I got like followers from both sides of TikTok. And then, yeah, it just became something that was very fun. So I just kept doing it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. and. I appreciate you sharing that breadth of experience because I always love the first gen stories. I myself am not first gen, however, my mom is. And so you talk about like identity crises. We've both kind of talked about that on different levels. You know, her coming over from Germany, myself being a Nigerian immigrant, technically, right, at some point, you know, and being really disconnected from that culture because I'm an American culture, which doesn't really feel like my culture, you know. And so I had to kind of have some of that reconciliation. And you mentioned something very key, which I know. Is common with most, really immigrants and and general. You know, assuming you know your parents are, are immigrants as well, the open mindedness and also something I hear a lot is you know parents being accepting of you going off and living this quote unquote and for lack of a better term, American dream. Like, how was that experience? Like, you went from Mexico to New York. You're indulging in corporate America and TikTok. Like. Was your family receptive to this? Were they curious? Were they pulling you down? Like, I'm just curious because I always hear that side of things when I interview First Gen.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting because where I grew up, right, it's part of Texas. People sometimes think it's Mexico because there's like, where I grew up, it's called Laredo. And the town over, like across the border, is called Nuevo Laredo. So sometimes we're like, so you live in Mexico or... (laughs) Like, if you go deep in Texas, like, or like, I guess, central Texas and stuff, and you tell someone, oh, I'm from Laredo, they're like, oh, so like, you come from Mexico and you're like, no, 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 Laredo, not Nuevo Laredo. It's, yeah. But I was there with my dad. My mom lives in Mexico, in Jalisco. So she had already been away from me, you know, technically, since I was like in fifth grade or something. So to her, it wasn't like such a big hit when I was like, I'm moving to New York City. It was just like, okay, now you're just further away. It did have like an effect on her because we were further away, which means sometimes like we might not go as often or something because flights are so expensive, right? But it wasn't like, oh my God, and you're like literally leaving me. (laughs) With my dad, he took it kind of hard because we were very close And we used to see each other all the time. And then all of a sudden, I was only supposed to be in New York City for a semester. I came here through a student exchange program that my school offered. But once, you know, I had spent a couple of months here, I was like, I'm not done exploring New York City. And I had this idea that, like, if I stayed and I interned here, it would be easier to, like, start my career in New York City. And I've always believed in that saying— You know, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, which I think is very true, at least in corporate America, right? So I applied to transfer, and once I knew I was accepted, uh, I told my dad, and he was—like, he got sad, but he was like, all right, like, I guess, you know, if that's what you want. He was very accepting and supportive, but to this day, he, like, gives me a hard time about it if I complain about— anything about new york city he's like well you wanted to move there or you know yeah you made the decision that you wanted to live in this city and like so don't complain about it and i'm like
0: aka come back
1: (laughs) yeah no he's always i used to work at kpmg and this is like a global company right and he would always tell me you know kpmg has offices in texas right Oh, my God. I know.
0: (laughs) We're living the same life. I made that move from California to Portland. KPMG is actually based here. And I just think that's so funny because every time I'm back home, there's always a question of like, so, like, Barry's kind of nice. Like, you ever think about moving back? And it's just always like a poke. And it's because they love you. But I totally understand kind of how hard that could be.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know about your family, Ryan, but you know how in Latino culture— It's part of your culture, right, to be close to family. A lot of times, especially as women, you don't leave your home until you get married. So to them, it's very strange, and it's something that they just have to accept.
0: So, you know, the reason why I made this platform was kind of twofold. One was really when I was on social media or really consuming any form of content, no one really talks to quote-unquote normal people, or no one even really gives with that beginning or middle looks like. And I really, then the second kind of reason I created it was I wanted to give people, you know, and, and also youth kind of what I didn't get as a kid, you know, and some, you know, I love my parents step shout out mom, shout out dad. They listen to podcasts all the time, but our parents, right. They're not perfect, right. They, there are areas where maybe they could have been more supportive or they could have, you know, stoked our curiosity more. So as you think about your own podcast, which I would love to hear more about, And also your content, like, what message are you trying to give? And what are you trying to give, maybe, little Sofia? You know, what are you trying to give to the youth? What are you trying to give to, you know, especially Mexican youth? Like, what are you trying to deliver there?
1: Yeah, I have, like, a whole mission statement, right? I even have it on a media kit that I've shared with brands, which is my goal with Corporate Pero Latina and my podcast. And, you know, this whole community that, that I've created in New York City is just to facilitate connections, right? Both social and professional. I think there is a big focus on professional networking, but a lot of us seek belonging and a lot of us seek that relatability with peers. And if you get into the corporate world, there's this whole expectation that you should all be professional. And so I think you're kind of closing that door to where you can fully connect with others. I remember, so there's this girl that I'm really close to now, and we're both Mexican, but I met her when I started my full-time job, and I remember being so excited that she was Mexican. But we were both in a phase where we were trying so hard to assimilate to our environment that we didn't really know, quote-unquote, how Mexican we were, you know? And... It's not until now that we talk about it and we're like, oh my God, yeah. Like if I knew back then that you liked Grupo Firme, which is this like Mexican band. She's like, oh my God, like we could have gone to a concert or stuff like that. And yeah, so we didn't have like that close of a connection back then. And I think that's a big reason why. So through my content, I think the way I use Corporate Pero Latina, the TikTok and Instagram account, it's more for a lighthearted, like humorous content. Right. So.
0: Which I love, by the way, and you, I envy your dance moves. You definitely check her out. And on top of that, your content's awesome. But oh my gosh, like I was like, I got to brush up. I got to like get going (laughs) on the dance moves because you are really good at it.
1: (laughs) I know. So I grew up on a dance team and I guess TikTok is also another outlet that I was able to use to kind of bring that back, you know, as like a hobby just like learning random dances and stuff. And integrating them into my content. But yeah, I I think I try to just make humorous content. Or I talk about my dating life. Like, people love that shit. Especially, like, in New York City. You know, I talk about, like, my failed dates and stuff. And people just, like, keep up with it. And, And a lot of people have reached out to me. And they're like, oh, thank you for, like, you know, bringing some, like, laughs to our days. Because, like, being a corporate Latina can be so hard and stuff like that. On the other end, I really want to make a difference. I always talk about how if I could, I would be a full-time influencer and a big one, but not so much because I want the fame. I don't think I would mind the fame, right? Like a lot of people would because they're very introverted. (laughs) I don't think that I would mind the fame, but that's not what I would want it for. I just think that when you have influence, you can use influence for good. And the more you have, the more you can do, the more like capital you can get somehow to affect change. So, yeah. So, right now it's, you know, I wouldn't even really call myself like, oh, a big influencer, but I have been able to make change and impact people's lives through creating a community in New York City of like corporate Latinos. People have met, they're like now best friends. People have gotten promoted because of our network. People have found, you know, just like a group of friends to go out with, all kinds of stuff. But I recently gave a whole little speech at this barbecue that we had. I was like, I love that, you know, we're so social and we found a group where we belong. But I want this to be more than that. I want to be able to be a resource to college students but also to immigrants who come into this country already being older without having had that opportunity to have an education or something. And so I'm just finding little ways here and there to make that happen. But I recently realized that I can't do it alone, right? So you kind of have to gather some people who share your same passion to do that.
0: I love that. And I appreciate the thoughtful explanation, and I share a lot of the same sentiment, you know, when you look and scroll on TikTok or scroll on any media, right, the content tends to look the same from a cultural perspective. You know, uh, there's not very many well-spoken Black people who are talking about startups and VCs and funding, right? And that, to your point, was why I entered it. So I kind of have my business unstuck, and then I also have a startup as well. It's a healthcare startup. And that's something that I feel the same way, right? It's like affecting change not only from a money perspective, because that's where the money's at, and being able to put it back into your community. But I can't tell you how many stories I have of young black boys and girls, and you know, Latinos and Latinas, and the whole spectrum. Like I've gotten people from just a wide range saying it's nice and refreshing to see. Different and see someone saying it in a way that I can understand and also saying it in a way where I know, like, okay, it's not just some privileged person giving me this take. Like, I know the struggles that you have to go through. Do you have any stories like that as you've gone through your podcast or your content creation of folks that have like reached out to you and said, like, thank you? And if so, like I want to hear a little bit about that.
1: No, yeah, definitely. I mean, I can't think of like specific words, you know, that have been said to me, but there have been more than a handful. People that have reached out, just genuinely thanking me for even being that representation in the creator world. They're like, "Thank you for like putting your content out there because there's nothing like it." And I'm like, "There is here and there, but
0: (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Uh, you know, thanks." (laughs) (laughs) I love that.
1: And it's funny when, like, for example, for corporate TikTok, right? Like, I'll mention like other corporate creators to like my followers and I'm like oh yeah like I don't know if you look at their stuff and they're like who's that so it's you know it's like a very specific audience
0: but also you're the one they're looking up to for corporate which is still awesome
1: right yeah and I don't realize that so I remember I had an episode with my mom and it was fully in Spanish because my mom like can't speak English really fully in Spanish, and then I just put it up on YouTube with subtitles of like anybody who didn't speak Spanish, you know, wanted to just listen and read along. But it was like a very vulnerable episode with her and a long one. And she just really opened up. It's sort of like that struggle that many moms and like daughters have, right? Or just like with parents in general. As you grow up and you're first generation, you start having like a different culture and you start seeing that disconnect with your parents my mom was like a very absent mom growing up so she had to make the decision of letting us leave when we were very little to go with my dad and we spoke about all of that and like whether she regrets it or not and, and she does she's like yeah if I could go back I wouldn't have let you guys leave. but then we think about that and we're like but if you hadn't let us leave, like where would we be right now?
0: Oh my god, what we'll a catch 22.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And wow. so after I posted that one, I actually thought that not many people would listen to the whole thing because it was very <laughs> long. But so many people reached out just saying, like, I appreciate you being so vulnerable on your podcast because it really allows me to like really, or you know, it puts things into perspective and stuff like that. Like after I had that episode with my mom it even helped me, you know, just like understand her a little better. So yeah, I definitely, like here and there, you know, I always have people that reach out and it kind of like keeps me going because sometimes I do get that burnout of like creating and yeah, it helps.
0: I actually feel like I'm there. You know, I get married in five weeks, had about <laughs> six weddings this year. Oh, thank you. And a little pause. <laughs> shout out, shout yeah. out to the wifey. Thank you. <laughs> shout out to the wifey. And you know, the last week, it was the first week in 25 weeks that I didn't post an episode and I had a moment of like freak out and I had to remind myself of the phrase I have on my wall which is consistency doesn't mean you do it every day it means that you're committed to the process but what was great was it showed a lot of my personal development because Khalil about 5 years ago I probably would have fought tooth and nail to record something but this close like you know what I'm going to go to my friend's persian wedding in San Diego I'm going to come back I'm you know I'm just going to post about that all the twenty five episodes I've already done, and go and listen to those. No big deal, but I totally know that burnout. And on the TikTok side too, I had a very similar journey where I made about four videos and got about twenty seven thousand followers, like very fast. You know what I mean? And it, and then as you know, TikTok likes to play games and things plateau, and you don't know, get those viewers, and it flips off. And then you're having all these questions about, and my, my is what I'm saying effective? But it's so cute. There's like these. There's about. Fifty to like two hundred people that are always watching my content, that are always interacting with it, and that is what keeps me going. And I wanted to hear from you. You know, you you spoke about doing a vulnerable episode, and in order to do something like that, you have to be committed. Like you have to have something, a why to like be like I'm going to interview my mom and talk about some of the most vulnerable things. Like what keeps you going in those moments of feeling stuck or in those moments of burnout? Like like what do you turn to?
1: So I think one of the things would be something that, you know, you touched on earlier, right? Like, what would you want to do for, like, young Sophia? And I think that when I was in even, like, high school, right? But, like, college and right after college, I was really seeking someone or some group or something that, you know, made me feel that relatability, Because a lot of times, you know, stuff happens to you and you think that you're the only person going through it and nobody understands you and, you know, something's wrong with you. That's why I also talk about my dating life, too. Like, I've never been in a serious long-term relationship and I'm very open about it. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with me. It's just not happening, you know. But mainly that and just like, I always think back to like, there might be, you know, a young girl that watches my content or listens to my podcast and is like about to decide, you know, to major in something just because her parents are telling her to or because she's scared of not being financially stable, you know, things like that. And I've become that person that's like, no, like follow your passion because if not, you're going to be miserable. And it's hard, right? Because like I took out so much money in student loans that at some point I was like I can't I can't leave this job because like I don't know if you've ever heard of the sunk cost fallacy. I spoke about it in one of my episodes.
0: Yeah, tell us what it is though for the people listening.
1: Yeah, so I don't know the the definition like verbatim, but it's basically, you know, it's like an economics term. It basically states that at some point, like you put so many resources into something, whether that's time, energy, money, anything like that into something that you feel like if you leave it or you quit or whatever, you're wasting that resource, right? So for me, it would have been like, I can't quit my job. I can't leave this industry because I just spent four years or five years of my life like studying this subject and becoming an expert in this industry. And I took out like over a hundred thousand dollars in student loans. Why would I leave now? Then it's like, all that was for nothing. So it's that mentality of like, oh no, if I leave, then everything else was for nothing. But it's not true, you know? And I always try to remind people about that. It's like, if I hadn't gone through my college experience or, you know, like, through different things from having picked that major or whatever, you know, then I wouldn't be here being this wise.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's so true. It Like, that's something that I think about five, six years ago I really struggled with was making that pivot. And I'm in the corporate world. And if one foot in the corporate world, one foot out of the corporate world, But it feels like a lot of the time. And what you learn is it's not about what you know, it's not about your experience, it's a little bit about who you know, but that's not even a big thing. It's your interpersonal skills and your ability to connect with other people, and all those experiences that you're going through, all the things, even if you're in a job you hate, even if you're in a situation that you think is like unbearably hard, sticking through it builds Uh, an insatiable character and you're able to connect with people and it's something that when I look back at my years at Nike when I was making $22,000 a year when I look back at corporate job at Umqua Bank where my manager was awful and I at the beginning of this have a promo up of three signs it's time to fire your boss like when I had passive aggressive bosses gaslighting bosses like I thought at the time like I've put all this time and energy into this place. Yeah, it's not a perfect person, but like who am I to leave the situation? And I actually learned, and by example, like the faster I leave a bad toxic situation, the better off I am in the long run because I also learn from that, but also I get to get out of the situation. Like people, I have some folks that come to me and like, I gotta stick in it. I gotta stick through this because if I quit now, like why why would I do that? But it's like, no, you quit because your mental health is important and people aren't respecting you. So talk about that. Like I know from that space of being a corporate Latina, like what are some of the toxicity that you face and that maybe some of your counterparts may not face in a day-to-day? You know, I have an idea because I'm a Black man. I know I know where you're coming from, but not everyone does. I'd love to hear your take on that.
1: Yeah, honestly, you know, everything that you're saying, I'm like, yes, yes. Because, you know, from when I started my full-time career, I experienced some microaggressions at work, which at the time I... I was like, okay, no big deal, whatever. Like, you know, it's innocent or whatever. Like, trying to make excuses
0: for those people. That paycheck makes you look away. It really does
1: sometimes. I was like, whatever. (laughs) And for example, you know, if I said something a certain way or like with an accent or something and people saying like, oh, don't you mean this? That used to like, oh my God, make me burn inside. And I would end up like, hating that person forever just because they made me feel so uncomfortable in the moment. And there was a a really long time, actually, that I was really trying to get rid of, like, my Mexican accent. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was like, I don't want to stick out in that sense, right? But yeah, like, just a few microaggressions here and there. And then something that was very disappointing to me was that, When I left my first company, then I went to another one and I became a financial analyst. I only lasted five months there. And right now that you were talking about, you know, leaving a toxic place, it wasn't like, I just think that I joined at the wrong time. They were understaffed. My manager was also Latina, which I was really excited about at first, but then my experience working under her wasn't what I had hoped for. You know, I guess I came in thinking like, oh, I'm going to have this mentor in a way.
0: And she's going to support you and help you out.
1: Yeah. And I don't blame it on her. I spoke about it on one of my episodes, actually my first one, because she is great at her job. And she was a really nice person, you know, when we just had conversations and stuff. But I felt like I wasn't set up for success. And she was always so overwhelmed with all her work. She expected me to be able to like take on, you know, like a whole department and just run with it. And I couldn't, you know, like I didn't come from like a place where I was a financial analyst. This was new for me. So I was like, you know, going in baby steps. And I remember the cherry on top for me was just me going through a month and close. So as a financial analyst, I thought I was getting away from accounting. But I didn't realize that as a financial analyst, you're actually supposed to know more accounting because you're like checking their work to make sure that it makes sense. And so when I had to do that, I, it was a nightmare for me because I was like, um, and like little accounting things that I always struggled with. And I would always be like, oh my God, I would sit there for hours. And then I wouldn't have an answer, you know, for my manager or something. But it was like, I was getting better, you know, with time but it was it was hard for her to, like, understand that because we were always in a time crunch. And so, yeah, the last straw was just, like, me telling her, like, you know, hopefully next month is better. Because she was like, oh, we, we need to stop having all these, like, little errors here and there. And I need to be able to, like, rely on you. And I'm like, yeah, hopefully next month, you know, it's better and then better better. And she was like, no, like... If I can handle all these departments, like, you should be able to handle this one. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, I can't work with someone who thinks like that. And I remember calling my dad and crying to him. And I was like, I cannot go through another month in close. And I was like, oh, my God, but I had no job lined up. But I really was, I was like waking up and like feeling, I was panicking, you know, like, what am I going to mess up today? And it was really, really, really affecting my mental health. And at the time I was like, you know, venting on TikTok and everyone knew that I like was so
0: unhappy. (laughs) And that's not fun because that's not you either. Like that's not you.
1: Yeah. It was like sucking that like happiness out of me. You know, I'm a very like lively person and I was just like always miserable and taking it out on people. It was so bad. I was like, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can't do this. I had like one month's worth of savings to like survive without a job, I guess. So I gave my two weeks notice. My manager was shocked and I was like, you're shocked.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's the problem. Like, like, why are you shocked?
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I was like, yeah, like, I'm sorry. And I like was very strategic about it where like my last day was like right before the next month and close. But yeah, I quit with no backup plan. But that day, was the day that I started my podcast. I literally just grabbed my phone and I was like, all right, here, it was like a seven minute episode, but I was like, it was like my announcement, I guess, to my audience or followers, right? That I quit my job. Like, if you're miserable, you should do it too. And the response that I got was amazing because I was actually a little scared that people were going to be like, You know when, like, your videos end up on the wrong side of TikTok? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, and you're like, no. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah.
1: so I was like, oh, my God. If people start attacking me saying, like, you're so dumb for doing that and whatever, right? Like, you're going to regret it. But everyone was so supportive. And I will always remember this one comment from a man that I guess he was, like, in his 50s or something. I don't know, like, an older gentleman. And he was like, props to you for doing this now. He's like, I wish that at your age, I would have had the guts to leave my job. But now I have a family that depends on me. So I can't, you know, it's that like feeling of being stuck. And I was like, wow, okay, (laughs) let me take that and run with it.
0: You know, and I want to kind of submit, because you went through a lot there. And I think it's really important that we kind of touch on a couple of pieces. You know, first off, sticking out. It's something that comes with confidence and age, you know, from a young age after nike i found myself in a c suite at a startup with a little bit of equity but still working for someone and being the only black person in the room the only black person in the company the only black person in the client base like as you start to zoom out i'm like i'm one of you know 200 300 here let me assimilate let me figure out like my lane let me figure out how to like not stick out so much and what I learned was I actually was hyper-focusing on the wrong thing. I was hyper-focusing on the look, me being a black man and others being white, primarily. When in actuality, my sticking out was my candor, my articulation, my leadership was vastly different than my leadership You know, at that time. And I used to hide that thing. Like, for example, you talked about you being overwhelmed or you being afraid to ask for help or a mentor not career pathing with you, not showing you the way. Like, I believe strongly that my leader should do that, but I wasn't holding them accountable. And it wasn't until I got to a point in the company, which took about a year or so, where I was basically the company. I was selling, I was creating the products, I was talking with the clients, where I started to kind of put my foot down. And to my shock and to my awe, they stepped out of the way and were like, okay, well, you lead. And it was a situation where at the point similar to your manager was like the damage had been done already. Like I already kind of had this attitude and this feeling about them that I didn't want to go the extra mile, that it was time for me to leave. And actually today in my current corporate environment, my leadership is wonderful. And it's partly do because we're very much on the same level now, but also genuinely, I wasn't always at that level. And so now they're awesome. Like I wrote an article, here are three signs to fire your boss. And my boss the next day is like, that was amazing. Like, I love that. Like I'm sending this to the board. Like, this is great. Like, I think that this article should be shared with HR. Like, and you start to see the art of sticking out and you start to also see that it's just sometimes your environment. That sometimes you need to take that step like you took and be brave and bold to find something you love, like podcasting, right? Like, if you didn't take that step, we wouldn't be talking, right? And vice versa. Like, if I didn't leave my banking job, I didn't leave my Nike job. And they were both great jobs. If I didn't leave because of my own mental health and to put myself first, I wouldn't have been able to experience joy on this level. And so I appreciate you sharing that. Like, you're not alone. And to anyone listening who's, like, going through that. Have the guts, like Sophia, to get a plan, even if it's not the perfect plan, but to move out of that because it's detrimental to your health and to your future, really, to stick under anyone who disrespects you and treats you with any type of toxicity.
1: Yeah, definitely. I should say that it it's definitely not perfect now. I stepped out of you know a toxic workplace environment or what I thought was a toxic workplace environment, And I'm still very much trying to figure out—I always say I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up.
0: (laughs) Aren't we all? Aren't we always? Yeah, you know,
1: like, I'm always like, how do you expect an 18, 19, 20-year-old to know what they actually want to do for the rest of their lives? And so I once read this book that really changed my perspective on, like, sticking with just one thing. Uh, It's called Range by David Epstein. And they touch on, you know, the importance of seeing the value and employees who have had different experiences in different industries, different roles, because they bring such a different perspective to a specific role or something, right? And so I transitioned from finance to HR recently, and that was my whole, like, pitch, I guess, right? Like, what I bring to the table with the finance background is very different than someone who has only done HR. I'm like, I can learn HR. But, you know, I have a different way of thinking and stuff. And I'm very good at communicating with people depending on, like, the context and their personalities and stuff. But at the same time, you know, now I'm, like, in a phase where I'm like, well, I don't know if HR is what I want to do. I, like, gave myself this whole reputation, right, of I'm like the job hopper, and not just job hopper, like industry hopper, because I'm like just exploring.
0: You're not alone. I'm. The, I do this. I'm the same way. Absolutely, that's the way to do it.
1: But I'm also like I'm in my mid twenties, and I'm like, if not now, like when, right? I. It's this is the perfect oh, time so to explore y- my options. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. You should be doing that. And I started entrepreneurship really young. Like I was selling t-shirts out of my college dorm room and after the fact i didn't go straight into a corporate job i thought oh let me go join this startup with three 25 year olds who have an apparel company completely on par with what you're talking about at your at the last toxic job right really not supporting you and i went from there you know i went to nike to get a customer service job because i thought okay well it's not ideal but i know data's there and i know it's nike like i'll figure it out and i only lasted there for about a year and a half And so about every year and a half, two years, I was moving jobs, leaving jobs. And, you know, I felt this sense of guilt about it. I don't know where that was born out of because I was totally justified to hop. But I started to learn that no one cared. Like, when I went into interviews, they didn't go— okay, Khalil, uh, you were at your job for one month or you're Khalil, you're at your job for a year and three months. Like, why was that? And if they did ask, which I was asked once, I would say what we're talking about. I had toxic leadership. I didn't have a career path. I wasn't supported. And that was it. And they said, well, great. And most of the time, which was crazy, was that specific answer twice on two occasions got me a job because of the level of vulnerability. And also they cited like my self-awareness So I wanted to share that because I anticipate you may keep hopping and anyone listening, it's okay to hop and don't put some artificial time on it. I used to get into a job and I would keep interviewing just in case. And that's not my fault, right? That's not my fault that I built that habit. That's corporate America's fault. That's poor leadership's fault. That's old leadership's fault, right? For not upgrading to the new generation on, what we care about you can't expect a new generation to do what an old generation did and a lot of corporations do that and so i just wanted to share that because that caused a lot of angst and i remember when people would mention it sometimes to me especially older folks it would strike a nerve like i remember being like oh wow what well, that really riled me up like i'm not lazy i'm not a quitter i'm just not being efficient in this role and i know i can do so much more And look at me now. I was correct. I just needed the right leadership. And I say that to you too, because sometimes that's all it takes is that one person to pull you through and to say, hey, you know, you might've been hopping before, but I got your back and I'm going to make sure we get you where you need to go.
1: Definitely. I think what you said about, oh, I'm not a quitter, but like, why do I feel like one, right? That's been even now, right? Let's say if I'm like wanting to quit my job, I always get that feeling like, oh my God, it's only been a few months. Like, Am I quitting too soon? Like, am I being a quitter just because, like, it got a little hard or something? And so I have to, like, just sit and, like, really think about it to be like, no, like, I've done all this work to be self-aware and to know exactly what I want, exactly what kind of place I want to work at. And, you know, also what, what you said about when you're interviewing and they see that you're that vulnerable, right, it's a big deal because... I used to be really nervous with, like, interviewing and stuff because I felt like I was sort of giving fake answers all the time. But that usually gets you the job that you won't be happy at, right? Because you're, like, faking your answers.
0: Oh, circle and highlight that. Oh, my God. Yes, yes.
1: And, you know, you finish an interview and you're like, oh, I gave all the right answers. But it's like, yeah, you said what they wanted to hear. So now I'm like, yeah, I will sit there and I'm like, These are my values. This is what I care about. This is the kind of worker that I am. I care a lot about work-life balance. So if you can't give me that, like, you know, just very clear. What sucks is that sometimes, you know, you have those interviews and you do say that stuff and they tell you like, yeah, we have all that. And then you start and it's like, okay, well... You
0: kind of lied. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. And it's so funny that you mentioned that because I used to rehearse answers like, what would this person want to hear? I used to go as far as to like research the person that was interviewing me and I know, you know, what they liked. Like I got a little crazy with it sometimes, but I, I cared. And I remember walking out an interview sometimes like, oh, that, that didn't feel right. I didn't acknowledge it at the time. I quickly was like, I can't afford to acknowledge this perspective of mine that's realizing that I'm being inauthentic because I got bills to pay. And sometimes, you know, I'm speaking from a place of privilege, like sometimes that needs to happen. But at some point, you have to make yourself a priority. And I'm hearing that from you. Like you're really doing that now. And I'm I'm proud of you for that.
1: Yeah, I guess on my end, it's more so like, you know, I wish I could just quit my nine to five and do content creation influencing like full time, but I have bills to pay.
0: You'll do it one day. You will.
1: I know I'm like manifesting it hardcore, (laughs) but you will, um, and I'm here to help. But for now, for now, it's like I still need that nine to five. So, you know, to a certain extent, there are things that I have to deal with and like be okay with, I guess. But, you know, it doesn't mean that I need to stay in a place where I'm unhappy. Like I might just keep job hopping or something, but.
0: Absolutely. And I always ask this as a kind of a wrap-up. Just want to give you the floor. If there's anything at all, podcast, business, whatever it is, um, or a message that you want to share with the audience that you maybe didn't get a chance to share or something you want to maybe re-articulate, I want to give you that chance.
1: Yeah, I guess if anything, I would just, I guess we did touch on it, right? But to really be true to yourself. So often we think about like the pressure of what others are thinking um, in. Latino culture, there's, like, this whole, ¿qué van a decir los demás? ¿Qué va a decir la gente? And it's, like, what are people going to say? And, like, in your family, like, everyone always cares so much about what people are going to say. Like, who cares what we say within the family, but what are they going to say? And I think that for a long time, I was doing things for other people. I, I remember having a friend tell me that, like, she loved being able to tell people, oh, yeah, my friend works at a big four, like, in consulting. And I remember <laughs> thinking about, um, yeah, like, my mom was so proud, right, and telling people in Mexico, like, oh, she works at this global company and, like, everyone knew, you know, the company. And for me, a big thing was, like, being a woman in finance. Like, that was my whole personality, And I took a lot of pride in being like a woman in finance, but I hated it. Like I love talking about what I did for a living, but the day to day I was like, oh my God, no, like (laughs) another day I was like living for Fridays. And right now I'm kind of like in that stage again, because I'm not really happy with my current job. So I think just like reminding everyone that the moment you start feeling that way, life is too short. I, like, once had a dream that I died, and I woke up, and I was like, oh, my God, no, like, the second I become unhappy somewhere, I'm going to do something about it.
0: You have to. And I want to help any way I can, but, you know, I I definitely appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, to anyone, again, who's kind of going through that, it's time to take accounting. It's time to slow down. It's time to... Ask for help. It's time to engage your network. It's time to, you know, again, go on walks, journal. It's time to really check in with yourself. And so, so Sophia, I'll definitely be in contact. Definitely continue to grow our relationship. I appreciate you coming on and being so vulnerable and it's so refreshing just to hear someone be so honest, but also be so motivating and inspiring as well. So again, thank you so much. And for anyone who wants to engage and, and follow Sophia, all of her links will be below. Sophia, thank you so much for your time. Yeah,
1: thank you so much for having me. This was a great conversation. Thank you for listening to the Unstucked podcast. Visit us at unstucked.com and follow us on TikTok at unstuck.